Uh, we are starting a new sermon series this morning on 1 John. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go ahead and uh, make your way there. You'll find it near uh, the end of the New Testament. So if you get to Revelation, the very last book, you hang a left, go past Jude, 3 John, 2 John, you'll come to 1 John. Uh, we're going to look at the first four verses this morning. We also have uh, the passage printed for you in the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can just follow along there. I've included the whole chapter um, so that you can see the context. But if you were um, here last week, no surprises, uh, we celebrated uh, with Christians around the world the greatest event in the history of the world. This event that changed the entire world, bigger even than the unveiling of the first iPhone, this event that upended death and sin and separation from God forever, the, the revealing of the glory of God in the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you were here, we looked at John chapter 20, where John, one of Jesus' disciples, lets us peer into the window of a locked room where the disciples were huddled around, fearing for their lives. And he lets us peer in and hear Jesus' interaction with Thomas, who said, I will never believe in Jesus unless I see him for myself, unless I touch the, the spot where the nails went into his hands and I put my hand in his side. I will never believe, even though his friends told him over and over again, Thomas, like we saw him. Like we touched him, we talked to him. It's true, he is risen. Thomas didn't believe. A whole week passes, and then Jesus shows up, walks through the wall, and says, okay, Thomas, here I am. Believe. It is true. And Thomas says this great confession to Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, have you believed just because you've seen me? Like, blessed, happy are those who believe who have not seen me. If you're a believer this morning, we have not seen Jesus with our physical eyes. Blessed are you if you believe in Jesus this morning. And then John tells us the whole reason why he wrote his gospel. He said, so that you may believe that he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that was last week. Let's fast forward some 50, 60 years later after that event. The gospel this news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which changed everything, especially those men and women who first witnessed it, had spread throughout the world. Spread throughout the world through the proclamation of those disciples. This movement, think about this, this movement that started in Jerusalem with just a few group of, just a few number of people. Again, it made its way throughout the entire Roman Empire and beyond it. Thousands of people came to faith in Jesus and churches were started and missionaries were sent out and the fame of Jesus just kept spreading. But the cost for that wasn't cheap because those first disciples who after the crucifixion were fearing for their lives, when they encountered the risen Christ, they were emboldened. They not only risked their lives to tell people about this Jesus, but they lost their lives to tell people about this Jesus. And if you stop to think about it, it makes total sense that if eternal life is truly found only in Jesus and you wholeheartedly believe that, 
that if the resurrection is true, then losing your earthly life to make him known among peoples who will perish apart from him, then that is not lost, brothers and sisters. That is gain. That it's gain for you and it's gain for them. Those first Christians were compelled to make him known because the resurrection really did happen and it changed everything. And it changed especially them. And they were even willing to give their lives for it. And so John, one of the 12, who wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, as well as Revelation, is the only original disciple left. He's still alive. He's an old, old man at this point. He's living in Ephesus, in what's modern-day western Turkey, this major Roman port city, this urban center. Like the gospel of Jesus had taken him there and he's writing now to second and third generation Christians who live far from Israel, far from the events that took place there and who have never seen for themselves the risen Jesus. And so John, in this letter, it's clear that the faith of some is faltering a bit that their love for Jesus had waned and grown cold and they have gotten comfortable with their sin. Some have left the church. False teachers had crept in and certain preachers were peddling a version of the gospel that really wasn't the gospel. And so some people were starting to doubt certain claims of Christ and Christianity, like who really was this person, Jesus Christ? So John is writing into this context, which sounds somewhat similar to ours, doesn't it? Like in our cultural moment, and maybe some of us who are, who are here, for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, it sounds a whole lot like us this morning. Some of our own struggles and our own doubts. Again, remember why John wrote his gospel in the first place. He said, I write these things that you may believe. Like, I really, really, really want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And one of the reasons that he writes this letter, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who do believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may have assurance this morning. You might be convinced that you are a Christian. You see evidence of eternal life in you. You can know God and know that you know him. He wants our faith to be built up, to give us confidence and conviction, and he does it right from the beginning. So let's take a look at this. This is 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the Jesus that is really here. Give us ears to hear 
You give us hearts to embrace and love and worship him. God, only you can do that work in us, and we pray that by your spirit you would do that now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Back in 2009, I remember watching the news footage from when Captain Sully Sollenberger, which is a fantastic name, Remember this? Landed a U.S. Airways flight in the Hudson River just off Manhattan after both engines were struck by birds and there were something like 155 people on board this plane, all of whom survived the landing. I'm sure if you were alive at that point, you remember watching this for yourself or at least maybe you saw the movie. And I was just thinking about that this week. If there's anyone out there who is afraid of flying, and I know you're out there, Like, that story certainly didn't help your cause, and I do apologize for bringing it up this morning. But it's an incredible story. And, you know, I I wasn't there. You know, I I wasn't on that plane that day. I didn't hear the sounds, you know, the screams, the, the prayers that people were praying. I didn't see the buildings just getting bigger and bigger and the river getting closer and closer. I didn't feel the fear from thinking that I'm about to die or the vibrations or the impact landing in the water or the frigid water flooding the plane and covering my feet. But here's the thing. Here's the cool thing. I know someone who was there. I know someone who was on that plane that day who saw and heard and felt all those things and more and who lived to tell about it. And I've sat with him and I've heard him recount what it was like to actually live through something like that and how it fundamentally changed him. And it gave him a whole new perspective on life and faith. Listening to him gave a whole new level of credibility to the claims. It It didn't change the fact that it was true. That really did happen. There was plenty of evidence for that. But it helped solidify it for me. It made it personal. And here's someone who is actually there. Now that's similar to what John is doing here at the beginning of this letter. He's saying that the greatest news story ever, right, that impacts everyone and everything, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus didn't happen in some dark alley somewhere that nobody witnessed. But it happened out in the open, in the light, where thousands of people saw this Jesus. And John is saying, I was there from the beginning. I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him with my own ears. I touched him with my own hands. And this is what I want you to believe personally. And that is what God, through John this morning, wants you and I to believe. So let me give us three points to consider. First thing is the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Who is he? If Jesus really was a man who lived and died and who really was and is God and who really did rise from the dead and really is life itself and Lord of all, then you and I should believe that he is that. And it should make us want to, point to, proclaim this Jesus to people who don't yet know him. Because all of us proclaim what we prize. We give witness to what we worship. We love to invite people into our own enjoyment. And if Jesus is that to us, downtown Preds, if he is that to us, we will want to share him with others. 
Which leads to the third point, the purpose of Jesus and the whole point in proclaiming him, which is that he might bring us, that he might bring many others with us into his fellowship and into his family for our ever-increasing joy in him. So that's where we're going this morning. So first, the person of Jesus. Who is this person? This is one of the top two questions, maybe the number one question that all of us at one point or another will have to ask and answer. Who is Jesus? And culturally, you don't need me to tell you this, but culturally, we are living in a day and a time that is being called a secular age. Secularism is the air in which we breathe. That we live in a society in which increasingly anything spiritual and supernatural is stripped away. And what is left is a natural explanation for everything. Which means there is very little room for God in that. Very little room for the spiritual. But such questions about the claims of Christianity are not new. That this was just as relevant for Christians in John's day as it is ours who were starting to doubt certain claims about Jesus. Like, was he really a man? Like, did he really have an actual body? Or did he just appear to have a body? Like, that, that has massive implications for what we believe about the incarnation, about the atonement, what Christ has actually accomplished for us on the cross. John is speaking into this, and so the point that I want us to see is that Christianity rises or falls on who Jesus is and what he has done. It rises or falls on who Jesus is and what he has done. Think of it this way. Jesus Think of it as a building. Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone upon which our entire faith is built. So that if we get the whole Jesus question wrong, Christianity crumbles and our faith is futile. That it would be no truer than pixie dust. And I'm guessing a lot of us don't believe in pixie dust. That if Jesus is not who he said he was, and he's fully God and fully man, then there is no life and there is no salvation. And all of this is just smoke and mirrors. It is a sham that you and I have believed in. And we can just go home because we are still in our sins, we are still separated from God, and we are still sentenced to hell. That if there is no Jesus, then there is no eternal joy. And if there is no such thing as sin, which more and more people are believing today, then there is no need for a savior. But if both of those things are true, that he is fully God and fully man, it is the greatest and the most important news in all the world. And Jesus deserves the worship of all the peoples of the world, which is why we proclaim him. And that is exactly what John is doing here in these first few verses. He's saying to us, I witnessed the worth of Jesus. And I'm telling the truth about him. And what exactly is he telling us here? He's telling us two equally essential things about Jesus that we must believe that if we remove either one of them, like the spiritual, that he's actually God, and the whole thing falls apart and our faith is no better than a fairy tale. And so we see John saying here, the first sign that you have saving faith is that you believe that Jesus is divine, that he always has been God and he always will be God. 
and that he's also human, that he actually did take on a real physical body. And that's been true from the moment of his incarnation and it's true now and it'll be true for all eternity. So where do we see John calling Jesus God here? Several places. Look what he says there in verse one. He says that he was from the beginning. And what he means by that, he means the beginning of everything. And before anything else existed, he was there. That Jesus is eternal. That there was never a time when he was not, and there never will be. He is God himself. Then at the end of verse one, he calls him the word of life. Remember what John says at the start of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, meaning the Son, Jesus Christ in the flesh is equal to the Father, with God, was God. We also see it there in the middle of verse two, this eternal life was with the Father. And again, at the end of verse three, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the first thing, right out of the gate, that John wants us to know and believe and have certainty about is that Jesus This man from Nazareth, the one that we've all heard about from history, who John knew personally and intimately is God in the flesh. That the invisible became visible. That the transcendent became touchable. The eternal became earthy. The spiritual became physical. The maker became a man. Like stop and consider how stunning that is how nearly unbelievable that is that God became a man, how easily we forget that and lose sight of it. Life itself became a life in the person of Jesus that we too might have life in him. John's like, if you want some proof that he is God, then consider the resurrection. Oh, by the way, I was a witness to that as well, which leads to his humanity. Notice, notice here how he stresses in all the ways that he knows how. He uses all of the senses, aside from smell, he uses all the senses to show us that Jesus was a real man. That he's not a phantom. He's not a ghost. He's not a fairy tale. But he is as real and as physical as the person sitting next to you right now. Look at the language that he uses. Verse 1 which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands. Verse 2. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. Verse three, which we have seen and heard. Now, now what's, what's the point? And him stressing all of that. Again, remember there is a, a philosophy, a movement at the turn of the century that John is writing into that denied the physical nature of the person of Jesus, that he only appeared to be a man. He wasn't actually a man. And one of the great gifts that God gave to the early church and to us is John's long life to counter such claims because he's like that sort of crud that you're peddling, that Jesus wasn't an actual man, it's not gonna fly. Because I saw him with my own eyes. I saw all the miracles he did. Just, just stop for a second and consider, this, this, is a, this is a man who actually knew Jesus. He saw him. I saw all the miracles that he did. I saw him 
touched the sick and they were healed. It's the most amazing thing. I saw him raise people from the dead. I saw him take a few loaves of bread and feed thousands. I saw his body transformed on a mountain. I saw his body nailed to a cross and I saw him die. And then three days later, I saw him walk through that wall with his resurrected body. And later, I saw him ascend into heaven. But not only that, but I heard the very voice of God with my own ears. I heard him teach. He's a far better teacher than Adam Ratcliffe. He is and was the best teacher on the planet. No one taught with such authority like Jesus. I heard him pray to his father. I heard him sing the Psalms when we would sing together. I heard him say from the cross, it is finished. And after the resurrection, I heard him say, go and make disciples of all nations, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he has kept his promise. And not only that, but I touched him with my own hands. I ate with him, I drank with him, I sat next to him. I touched his resurrection, bo- resurrected body. It was more real than it was before. And here's the thing. Not once did I see him sin. And I was up close to him. Not once did I see him sin in private or in public. Not once did I hear him slander or gossip. Not once did I catch him doing something inappropriate. He was perfect, spotless, sinless, and that is good news for us because if God, the word of life, was just like us when it comes to sin, then he would be a God that would be no good to us. Like, like can't you see here in these first few verses John stacking up the evidence for the full humanity and full divinity of Jesus here so that you and I this morning might have full faith in who he is and what he did. He is saying to us, I was an eyewitness to the greatest person who ever lived. The God-man. So faith in him is not some leap in the dark for us. It's not some leap in the dark for us. It is a step out into the light. Because God himself became visible, touchable, audible, and I was an eyewitness to the greatest proof that he is God, his resurrection, and that our sins are forgiven, our debt paid, and we can have eternal life in him. And so, back to the question, who is this Jesus? John's answer, he is God in the flesh. And so for you sitting there this morning, what's your answer to that question? The old C.S. Lewis quote goes, you know, Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic or he is Lord. If he is Lord, we all need to bow our knee and worship him. You only have a couple of options. There aren't many. John is saying here, Jesus is not one option in an ocean of option. He is the ocean. That life is found in him alone. So no Jesus, no life, no Jesus, no joy. Jesus said in John 14, 6 to Thomas of all people, remember Thomas, Jesus says to him, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which is why, point two, we must proclaim this Jesus because no one gets to the Father but through the Son. 
We proclaim this, Jesus. The main verb in this entire paragraph is found there in verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, we declare, we announce this also to you. We got any, uh, any Clemson football fans in the room this morning? Raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. I know you're tempted to raise your hand, but I know we have one or two Clemson football fans in the room. You know, if you're, if you're a Clemson fan, right, nobody has to tell you to get excited for next season, do they? Nobody has to tell you to get excited for next season. Like, you've been wearing your purple and your orange all year round. Like, we see you. We know who you are. Like, you're excited for next year. And nobody has to tell you or twist your arm to talk about last year's championship, right? Or how this year is going to be even better than that. You love Clemson football, and it just oozes out of you. Now, now why is that? And it could just mean that you're crazy, but it also could just mean that, 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 we, that we all love to proclaim what we prize. We love to tell people the truth. And the truth here is that Clemson is the best football team in the country. Or, here's another one. You know, maybe you're, you're single and you're in a relationship and things are exciting, maybe moving toward marriage. Hey, nobody has to drag details out of you, right? Nobody has to force you to talk about that new person in your life. You're always walking around with a smile on your face. It's like, think about this. It's like John here. It's 50, 60 years after being with Jesus. And he can still close his eyes and see Jesus' faith just like it was is yesterday. He can still hear the sound of his voice ringing in his ears, and he simply can't stop telling people about him. That he never got over it. It just oozed out of him because he knew that it is the greatest news in all the world because it dealt a death blow to our greatest problem, which is our sin. And because we all suffer from the same sickness, it is news that all the peoples of the world need to hear who right now, who right now are dying apart from the life-giving cure. Which is why John and Christians throughout the centuries have given their lives to proclaiming the worth and the wonder of the word. There was nothing of greater importance. And there was no greater joy for them than to make known what God had made known to them. They took the gospel of Jesus everywhere and to everyone because the resurrection had changed everything. We all proclaim what we prize, and for these guys, and hopefully for us here, that prize is a person. It is Jesus. We talk about what we treasure, and the question that we all have to ask is, has the gospel of Jesus had such an impact on us that we can't help but invite others into the life and joy that we have found in him? Like, has it had that impact on us? Because the thing that we sometimes forget is that the very nature of the gospel that it, is that it is first and foremost news. That's what the word gospel means, good news about what God has done. And news isn't really news unless it is shared with other people and it will not be shared with others until you and I really believe it for ourselves and until we really believe that without it, people will perish apart from Christ. Let me, let me give an example. Let's say... 
you discover the cure for every form of cancer. You wish that was true? Or maybe it's Alzheimer's or heart disease, whatever it is, but let's, let's say cancer. We've all been impacted by it, right? We've all had loved ones die from it who have suffered through it, who are still fighting it, or maybe we ourselves have, but if you had the cure for every form of cancer and nobody ever had to die from it again or go through chemo or radiation, what would you do with what you found? Would you keep it to yourself? You would make it known, wouldn't you? You would get on every major news network. You'd set up clinics all over the world. You would recruit workers to go into all the villages and towns and cities to administer the cure. And here's the thing, and you guys know this. If you've been in church, you know this. That our fallen human condition is far worse than cancer or Alzheimer's or heart disease, as terrible as those things are. And the good news is that the resurrection of Jesus has something to say about that, that it is not the final word. His word is the final word. But we are dead in our sins. Really dead. We are separated from God, but the Father sent his Son to save us so that we don't have to die in our sins. You don't have to be separated from God. You don't have to wonder what the purpose and the meaning of your life is and why you are here on the planet. You don't have to constantly be chasing after happiness and fulfillment and never quite catch it because it is found in a person. It's found in the God-man, Jesus. He has come to us, church. Therefore, let us go to them. He has made himself known to us, therefore let us make him known to them. The gospel is good news. And news is not news unless it is shared with others. This Jesus of the Apostle John that we find here, he is worthy of worship. But how will people worship him if they don't know who he is? And how will they know who he is unless someone tells them? And who will tell them but those who know and worship him. And so by way of application for us, how can you, where you work, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our city, or maybe in a city on the other side of the world, in small and significant ways, in creative and compelling ways, make this gospel tangible and visible and audible to those around you? Like how can you embody this message so that others might come to know the giver of life who himself became embodied that they by faith may have eternal life in him? Friends, this is the good news that we proclaim, but it's even better than what I just said. It's even better than that. It's better than having our sins forgiven and having life forever. And this is our last point, the purpose of Jesus and why we proclaim him. This is probably the best part of the whole passage. And I'm gonna spend like three minutes on it this morning. Lord willing, talk more about it next week. But we see this in verses three through four. Let me, let me sum it up like this. The purpose of Jesus and why we proclaim him is so that other, other people who don't yet know him, and that we who do would have the fullest joy possible. Fullest joy possible. And having been brought into the fellowship and the family of God the Father through our faith in his Son. Look again at verse three. That which we have seen and heard, the person of Jesus, we proclaim also to you. Here comes the point 
of that proclamation so that you too may have fellowship with us. So the first goal in preaching the gospel and sharing Jesus with other people is fellowship. We want them to love what we love, to worship the one we worship. That we would all come to have a shared love for Christ Jesus. That we would be in community with one another and have a love for one another because our union with him and his love for us. So we proclaim Jesus for the purpose of fellowship that more people would be invited into the family of God, the church. My friends, we are brothers and sisters. So Christ died for our call to worship this morning was from Revelation 5. It says that he was slain and by his blood he has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So that's the horizontal aim. It's also a vertical one. Because John here goes on to say something completely off the charts. Completely off the charts. Look there at the end of verse 3. He says, and indeed, not only that, not only do you have fellowship with other believers, but if you share in this faith, in this belief in Jesus, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The good news of the gospel isn't just that our sins are forgiven. It's not just that we have eternal life in his name, though those things are gloriously true. They are gloriously true. But it's also that when we believe in the Son of God for salvation, God himself becomes our Father, and Christ our brother, and the church our family, and our communion, our fellowship, is not only with other Christians, who share in our love of Christ as good and beautiful and satisfying as all that is. But because, friends, of who Jesus is and what he has done, you and I have been brought into the very fellowship of God that has existed for all eternity. And we get to commune with the Father and the Son by his Spirit. The goal of the gospel for you, for me, the goal of is that we would enjoy God to the full and forever in his fellowship and in his family. So let me end. Just a couple questions and an invitation for us. Do you know this Jesus? Maybe you say you know him. Your love for him has grown cold. Do you you know this Jesus? Is he worthy of your worship? He's made himself known so that we may know him. And if you do know him this morning, is it your desire to make him known to others? That the gospel is first good news. News is shared with others. And do you know, do you know the joy that is ours, that we are part of the church? The very family of God made up of people from every tribe, language, and nation, and that we get to be part of this local church this community of Christians called Downtown Prez, that we get to share life in Christ together. It's one of the greatest gifts of the gospel. And do we know the greatest gift of all? That we have fellowship, we have communion with God himself, Father and son, that he has invited us into his very own joy and delight in himself. And I pray that we would accept that invitation this morning. Let's pray now.
Our Father, we thank you for this good news. For the word of life who was manifested. Who became one of us so that we might know you. Father, I, I pray for those of us in the room who, who do know this Jesus, who love this Jesus, who worship this Jesus. God, I pray we would love him more and that we would love to share him with others who are dying, perishing apart from him. God, would you send us out from this place into our city, into our jobs, into our communities, and our neighborhoods. God, maybe even for a couple here this morning, would you send them to the ends of the earth to make this gospel known. Father, I pray for those who don't yet know Jesus, that God, you give them eyes to see him and ears to hear him and a heart that will love and embrace him. God, only you can do that work and we pray that you would. Father, how good, how good is the gospel that we've been brought into this fellowship, into this church, and we have been brought into fellowship with you, God of God. And we can enjoy you forever. Father, I pray that you would help us to do so. In Christ's name, amen.